Yeah, by the way, if y'all ever decide that we should just spend this 50 minutes in conversation, you let me know ahead of time and I won't prepare and we will have an amazing time. And I'm fairly serious about that. We just got to agree on what Sunday it is. Maybe what we need to do is have another potluck after the gathering, maybe. Yeah? Okay. We'll work on that. I really appreciated that one line in the song that we were singing that said, let earth and heaven be one here. And we were actually praying ahead of time about this morning. And that was a part of our prayer, was just we we recognize that where God is, where Father and Son are seated in the heavenly realms, wherever that is, that in that space, which is probably a giant space, according to Revelation, it's pretty huge, that there's only one government, and there's only one family, and there's only one people, or one set of beings, (laughs) be better to say, and they are all in harmony. And there is no strife, and there is only peace. Not to say that it's inactive or that everyone's asleep, but it's, it's united. And so that song, we're, we're praying, God, let these moments that we have together as the church in this community center in Sherwood, Oregon, let it be some of that right now. And that's honestly what we pray for and what we can experience. And I hope you're able, as we talk, just to kind of slowly breathe in and out. And if listening to what I'm saying is helpful, great. And if having your own thoughts with the Holy Spirit is better, great, whatever you need this morning. But I just want that for you in this space. I know it's a really rare space in our culture to be in a place like this with a degree of quietness where God is talked about a lot. I don't know. Does that happen at your workplace at all? Anybody? At yours? Oh, I mean, yeah, you guys are kind of self-employed, so that helps a lot. Yeah. So we're in a space that belongs to God this morning. Jeremy, should I do something different on this noise I'm getting? You're working on it. Awesome. Okay. All right. We are in the book of Ephesians, which Jonathan launched us into last week. By the way, fresh faces, and I want to say welcome to you, and happy to chat with you a little bit after the gathering. So switch the handheld. Switch the handheld? Great. Testing. Oh, there we go. See, there's shalom in this mic. Okay. The book of Ephesians. So this is Paul's second most thorough book. Um, He had a deep love for this church, and he really wanted it to fully understand all that God has for it. So like so many of the books he writes, and Jonathan told you this last week, but so many of the books he writes, he spends the first half of the book reminding us as followers of Jesus, who we are and who God is and everything God has done. And he just reminds us of this foundation that allows us to live the better life. But we can only do it, you know, in the second half of the book, he starts talking about what beautiful relationships look like between people and between in families and in the workplace and in the community. But he lays this foundation that we need to understand who God is, what he's done and who that makes us so that we can live in it well, so that we don't drag our brokenness into those relationships. But we're slowly evacuating our brokenness and and our emptiness. And today we are going to continue in that series. So last week, Jonathan focused on this one idea that God is calling us back to the way humans were in the garden, which was naked and unashamed. 
Now, granted, we're wearing clothes today, and that's a good thing. It's not about physical nakedness, but it's about being safe to be vulnerable and to be exposed in our souls and in our hearts, and that through Christ, that is something we can begin to move back into. And today's message I've actually titled, Human Interrupted. And I'll explain that a little bit, but I want to tell you a quick little story. So, this next slide, this is Jane. Jane is now uh, a granddaughter of Tricia and I, and a niece of Laura and Eddie, but she wasn't that a month ago. Jane began her story as a human being in a lot of brokenness. Jane's mom is not capable to be a mom. Jane's mom is a slave to methamphetamines. And we're not even sure who Jane's dad is. And so the plan of God for Jane was interrupted instantaneously before she was even born. But as of a couple of weeks ago, this is Jane's family. It's a healthy family. It's a family of hope. It's a family of resource. It's a family of love. It's a family that isn't enslaved. Granted, we know Jane's mom would like to be in this family and be the mother in this family, and she can't. And so she gave her up, but now Jane is in this family. And for Tricia and I, this is amazing because that's our daughter, and that's our son-in-law. So these are our grandkids. Jane's life was interrupted by sin, by brokenness, by slavery, by the enemy, by human brokenness and disobedience, but her life is now on a new course. It's on a new track. And Jane has the opportunity for her childhood to be recaptured and to live the childhood that God wants her to because of what's happened to her. And really, this is our whole story, and I want to share that with you as we get into the scriptures here. So, Kevin, go ahead. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. I'm going to remind you of a little bit of what Jonathan talked about last week with this scripture. This is about the will of the Father and the work of the Son. Paul writes to the Ephesian church, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Now think of Jane. For God chose Jane in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined Jane to be adopted as a daughter through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise and glory of God, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And Jane's story is really all of our story. Some of us were born into really fantastic homes. And some of us, there's just, there's a whole gamut of what our experience was as a child. But all of those homes, no matter how good they were, were incomplete. They couldn't give us everything that we need. They gave us amazing starts. And they gave us probably a lot of goodness but they aren't able to complete who we are. They aren't able to save us from our own brokenness. They aren't able to guarantee us life beyond this life. And so we needed to be adopted. And what is amazing about this is God foresaw the whole story. He foresaw the fall before it happened. He foresaw our need to be adopted. And so our story is Jane's story. For he chose us, the people in this room, in him before the creation of the world to be holy, to be different, to be unique, to be beautiful, to be blameless, naked and unashamed in his sight. So in love, he made a plan ahead of time for us to be adopted into, let's say, childhood, 
through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and his will, to the praise of his glory and grace. So this is what Paul's reminding us of. Hey, you are here now by the will of God. Whether you were born out of the parents that really wanted you, or whether you were born by surprise, or whether you were born by regret, sadly, that's true for some, God wants you. God desires that you are here. You have been born by the will of God. You are wanted, and God is working to reclaim us. Let's move on. Paul goes on to say, in him, that is in Jesus Christ, we, and this we is actually just the Jewish people. This is not all people. This is not the church yet. He says, in Christ, we, the Jews, were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first Jesus came to the Jewish nation first and shared the gospel there. And he was very clear about that. He said, I need you to go. He sent out the 72, and he said, go to the house of Israel. Go to the Jews. Let's start there. So we were the first to put our hope in Christ that we might be to the praise of his glory. But Paul has some good news, so we'll keep going. One thirteen to 14 says this, and you, now he's speaking to the people of Ephesus. Ephesus, by and large, was not a Jewish city. There were Jewish people there for sure, but it was a Greek or a, a, let's say, a Gentile city, non-Jews. And so he says, and you also, Gentiles, non-Jews, were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So think again a little bit about Jane. Jane is only one year old, or is she a year old? Year and a half? Yeah. Because Jane is now in the Boyle family, she has an inheritance. She will have an inheritance. There's so much more that's going to be there for her beyond the life she's living now. While she is with Rachel and Aaron, there's a lot of life to live. And beyond that, in her life beyond that family, there will be an inheritance for her. And I love this down payment idea. So in about two or three weeks, Tricia and I are going to go down to Palm Springs for eight days. Woo! (laughs) And I'm sorry. (laughs) That's just mean to brag. I'll try not to Instagram or anything. We'll just keep it quiet and keep it on the DL. Yeah, you're welcome. Now, the reason we get to do that is not because we can afford to do it, actually, and we don't have a home there, uh, but my parents do. My parents bought something called a timeshare, which for a long season was a big deal. You know that season, right, Kevin? I do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and I thought it was dumb, but it ends up being amazing. So they have a timeshare in Maui, and that affords them credit everywhere. And so now, from now on, starting a couple of years ago, we get to go down to Palm Springs for a week every February, March to, yeah, sorry, Consuela, this is just mean, to get out of what's going on around here, not away from you guys, but away from the weather. But that's a freebie. That's, that's a foretaste of the inheritance. My mom and dad were also faithful in a lot of other ways. And when it's time, they are going to hand over a lot more to us. But this experience in Palm Springs is just a foretaste of the goodness of being a son of Gary Vogt, who is on his way to Palm Springs right now. <laughs> They're going to be there for five weeks. <clears throat> in the same way, 
God gives us a foretaste now, and that's what church is all about. That's what being filled with the Holy Spirit is all about, to say, you have an incredible inheritance waiting for you after this life. Absolute peace and shalom. We will be able to explore the universe, be with God forever, be with each other forever, create things and make things. It'll be everything you wish this life was, and so much more. And that's coming. But the beautiful thing is we already get a taste of that now if we walk by the Holy Spirit. This is something that for me as a young person wasn't understood. I grew up in a dispensational church that said the entire kingdom is for after death. And the goodness of God is for after death. And so we're just going to hang in there until we die. And uh, knowing that we have this inheritance when we die, that is not actually what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we have a foretaste, a bit of our inheritance ahead of time. We get to go to Palm Springs for eight days, right? But eventually we get to live in... Palm Springs. I don't want to live in Palm Springs, but someplace amazing. Maybe Jesus said to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. So whatever paradise is, that's where we get to go. But this is the beautiful call of God that we get to taste this ahead of time. So what I want to stop and talk to you about is I want you to catch the beauty of the Trinity in everything that we just read. This is one of the most comprehensive passages of scripture that explain to us how the Trinity functions and who the Trinity is. So there were three things that were said. You notice in all of it, it talked about the Father being the one who wills it. And this is one of the primary roles of God the Father in the Trinity is that he has a particular will. He's the one who willed creation to be as it was. So the Trinity has a single will because it flows from the Father. The Father is the one who wills. The Son and the Spirit always agree. But the Father is the one who wills. Then it is Jesus in his, I hate to word the, use the word function, it sounds so utilitarian, but his work in the Godhead is to be the one who gives. So we find out later in other books of the Bible that Jesus was actually there at creation and that he was the one doing the work. It says that all things were created through Jesus and by him nothing was made that's been made. So Jesus somehow was the, the worker, the executor of the will of the Father. And then we see here, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables humans to receive. So in creation, the Father willed that we would live life in harmony with him in perfection. He gave us a free will to love him back and say, thank you, I'll do that. And we said, no, thank you, I won't do that. And now after a few thousand years, we've gone to see like, man, we gave up something really good. (laughs) Let's get back to it. And so Jesus comes back to say, I'm here to invite you back to what the Father started. Humanity was interrupted by the fall. Not just Jane's life, but every life was interrupted by the fall. And now we're invited back past that interruption to get back on the track that we started. And this is where we were at a month ago when we talked about childhood and God giving us our childhood back. It's really God saying, where your life got interrupted, we're going to go back to that moment and we're going to continue forward from there. So we're going to recapture everything you are and everything your imagination is and everything you hope for, and we're going to let you experience some of it in this life, but all of it in the life to come. This is the glory of God. Isn't that amazing? And that's not new. You knew that before you came in today. I'm just reminding you, but as you remember it, you're like, dang, that's good. I love this. This is my life. This is my life. Okay, let's go back into that. Passage of Scripture, Ephesians 1, 15 and 16. So Paul prays now 
for the Ephesian church. He's excited that the family isn't just Jews, but it's the entire earth. And he's excited to be the one who gets to tell all of the Gentiles about this amazing story. So he says, for this reason, since you're now a part of the family as well, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord, Jesus, and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul gets how incredible life in Jesus Christ is. So when anyone else joins the party, he just gets excited. There's another one. There's another one. And Paul's not looking at people one at a time. He's looking at communities and cities. He starts in Jerusalem, and then they go to Damascus, and then they go to Antioch, and then they go to Ephesians, Ephesus, and then they go to Colossae. Everywhere Paul's going, he's going, wow, this is spreading. This good news that I believe that many don't and that many of my Jewish ancestors don't believe, I'm sorry, my Jewish cohorts don't believe, Gentiles are now believing. So he's excited, and he's praying and praying. And now I want to get into really the heart of what we have to look at today, and that's Paul's prayer specifically. And he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul gets really specific about what is necessary to really enter into the fullness of life in Christ. This incredible work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How do I enter into it? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which you have been called. We just talked about that. But God, Paul prayed, and, and I would say we pray for you as elders of this church, that your eyes, the eyes of your heart, would catch more and more the hope that is out in front of you, a hope that is beyond just going to heaven when you die, but a hope that's for restoration now. That's for the ability to reconcile relationships now, to experience joy now and peace now, not in perfection. There's still suffering, for sure. But to have tastes, to say, here's a little bit of what's coming. Here's a week in Palm Springs. (laughs) Here's an answer to prayer. Here's healing. Here's affirmation. Here's love. And I'm just going to keep giving you tastes and giving you tastes to give you a hope And then Paul goes on to pray that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Now, actually, I want a little help with that. How would you describe the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people? What are the riches? The fruit of the Spirit? Okay. So a new kind of experience within myself that's joy and peace and patience rather than depression and anxiety and fear, okay? A new set of of emotions or feelings or virtue or character? Absolutely. What else? Our ancestry, our heritage is a rich heritage, right? So that's why the stories are written down and why we tell them to our kids and why we rehearse them every Sunday, yeah. An ancestry that says this is real, this is true, yeah. Yeah, what else? Yeah, say a little bit more.
Yeah. And our ability to have, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, God's helped us know that relationships are more than as long as I'm happy and then we'll move on when I'm not. But if we push past pain and conflict, but on the other side of it is a deeper relationship than we could have imagined. Yeah. Consuela, what were you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, over the last uh, couple of days, our, our elders here were with the other elders of the other Colossae churches, and we spent a couple of days together, which was fantastic, so good. And we were talking about so much of this, about scripture and about theology and what we understand. <clears throat> and, um, and then I forgot what I was going to say <laughs> about that, and it, it just, just dovetailed on what you said. I hope it comes back. It was really good. Yeah, definitely about relationships. And relationships are awesome. And it'll come back to me. Okay. And then there's one more thing he prays for. And again, I, I want to look to you guys. He says, <clears throat> I pray that you may know his incomparable great power for us who believe. And before we talk about what power is, let's go ahead to, uh, to the next portion of Scripture. He says that power, just to define it, that power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is to be invoked, not only in the present age, but in the one to come. Now, that, that whole, all of that is kind of like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. But th- there is an authority and a power and a force conversation going on here. Jesus was sent to the lowest place that you could spiritually go after he died, and that was into hell. So that's the lowest place of spirituality and spiritual authority in the heavenly realms, in the unseeableness of principalities and powers and domains. But God then, after three days, took Jesus from the lowest place to the highest place, So he passed through all other realms of authority and dominion and power where there would be uh, forces that would resist him. Remember, we uh, read in the Old Testament about how the angel Gabriel was trying to deliver the body of Moses and the demonic forces wouldn't let him do it. Or when there were messages being sent and they were delayed, there's this power struggle that goes on in the unseen world. And surely there were forces that didn't want Jesus to be free to go all the way up to the top. But God's power went past everything, every resistance that a spiritual force could put, including the enemy, the evil one, Satan, and just went right bypassed it all and put Jesus at the very top in a single moment. And so in God's realm, that, that's an unstoppable power. It's, that, it's why we sing, if God is for us, who can be against us? If the God who took Jesus from the lowest place of spirituality to the highest place of spirituality, if that God and that power is for us, what can be against us? And so what Paul is offering to to us is the affirmation that that's the power God works in your life, which to me is an overkill statement. Like, the power needed in my life is nothing compared to that power. Like, that's, I, I don't know what kind of units to use, but it's a million units and I only need three. So Paul is really making a strong 
case. But I think he understands how much we doubt, and we really don't believe that, because we pray and we doubt. And we say, God, I, I hope you'll help me. I, I know you can, but I, I wonder. I, sometimes I feel like you can't, but I'm going to pray. And all of those thoughts, Paul's trying to set us free from doubt and from the idea that does God have enough power? Does God have enough power to bring what I need? Does God have enough power to break through someone I love in the slavery that they're in, whatever they're addicted to? Does God have enough power to break through to Jane's mom and to take her from a place of suffering and emptiness as a human being in somewhere in the city to, to a woman who could be reunited at some point with Jane and actually feel what she wants to for her daughter? And the answer is God has enough power for that. So what's the variable? If the power is enough, what's the difference between experiencing the power and not experiencing it? And that's a loaded question. (laughs) Manish? Okay. Okay, so sorting through all the other voices that would say otherwise and slowly saying no. No, no, yeah, until there's that one voice, right? Yeah, absolutely. Tom? said. Yeah, and so we've got to keep in mind, this is a season of foretaste. It's a season of now and not yet. It's a season of sin and beauty and power. It's, but it's all of it right now. So we need to, have, to stick to that hope that he just talked about, that this is temporary, that there, a day will come when whatever human wants, world peace, will actually happen. It'll actually happen. But we need to, to somehow be content with that one voice knowing, I can give you a little bit now. I will give you everything in due time. I'll give you a little bit now, but I'll give you everything in due time. Stay with me. Stay with me. Yes, Consuela. Yeah, noticing that the package has arrived. It's kind of like you're... Yeah, right. Yep, absolutely. That's so good. That it's not recognized. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just want to share with you something that I've been learning lately that really fits right here. And, that's, and this is not the thing I was trying to remember, but it's another good thing. Uh, and that's something called pace. And I don't know how to say this any other way, but the pace of the Holy Spirit. And um, if you think about sailing, and you don't have to know anything about sailing, but you're only going to go as fast as the wind is blowing. 
if you've, if you've put your sail in the right place. And so there's a certain pace when you're sailing that you don't get to choose. We as humans love to put a motor on the boat so the wind's not blowing, we can take control. And I think we want to do that with life as well. And we have our sail out and the spirit is blowing and we go like, I don't want to go here and I want to go faster or slower than I am, so we want to turn on the motor. But I really believe there's a pace in the Holy Spirit and I think it's generally a little bit slower than where Americans live. But I think it's faster than where 30-year-olds in their mom's basement playing video games live. So it's, it's kind of in between those two kind of lifestyles. There's the lifestyle of laziness and slowness and unproductivity. That's not the right life. But then there's this frenetic, my schedule is full and I'm going and going. And in, somewhere in the middle is this pace of the Holy Spirit. at at which pace the Spirit is moving. And so I think that's where we can recognize the Spirit is doing something when we're going the same speed as the Spirit. And I think for us as Americans, that means maybe slowing down a little bit and waiting and and walking in pace with the Holy Spirit. So let's keep going. So this is, to sum up, There is no time to explain, only to sum up. Princess Bride, anybody there? No? Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. Our truest reality. I use the word truest to contrast it from every every other reality that we live in. So there's a lot of realities we live in. You have a vocational reality, and you have a familial reality, a home reality. Uh, You have different identities that you're living out. And they're all true, and they're all valid. Um, But the truest and the deepest reality that we are given is this. This is our primary identity, the one that we just have been looking at. So what you are, more than anything else, is an adopted daughter of Almighty God. That's your central core. That's who you really are if you want to talk about what's most important. You are primarily a daughter or a son of God. Having been adopted, no matter how willful your your birth was, your adoption is 100% willful by God. God is our primary parent. You guys all know this. Kids are on loan to us for a season, and then we got to let them go, whether we think we were done or not. And whether we were able to do what we hoped we would or not, we have to let go. And go, okay, God, you're the better parent you're going to finish what you started with me. And that's, that's good news if you can get a hold of that, right? And it's hard to get a hold of it because I want to keep trying. I think if I try a little more, maybe I can redo what I think I blew up on. Yeah, young parents, don't go there. Look at these old parents who are struggling and fearful about their adult children, and don't go there. Just let them go. <laughs> little, like at 12, get started. <laughs> And let a little bit go, and let a little bit go. So that at 18, it's just, I love you, goodbye. <laughs> go with God. I, I mean it. I mean, I really do mean it. I really do. Right? No matter how they are at 18, you just got to let go. I mean, don't stop praying, of course. But you, you did it. You, were, you parented. Now let it go. Some of you wrestling with that? Go ahead and wrestle. Go ahead and wrestle. I'm just telling you, this is where shalom is found. (laughs) This is where peace is. Right, Mona? 
Thank you. I've got someone who's going, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's where I live. Okay. We can argue about that later. The church is our primary family. And this, this is what we want to be as a local group of humans in Sherwood, Oregon, is the family that you really need, the family that's full of the Holy Spirit and that can provide what we need, that can be empathetic to you, that, that wants to get to know you, and that doesn't disqualify biology. I mean, your biological family can be a part of that. Here's father and son, and that's amazing. You are both in Christ and biologically family. But in Christ, all the missing pieces get filled in. So whatever pieces you've missed in the family, they get filled in in the church, if we're the church that God's called us to be. And we're working on that, and we'll keep working on it. And then finally, the kingdom is our primary government. And to me today, (laughs) this is amazing news, because every other government out there sucks big time. (laughs) And our government is not so hot either. In case this gets recorded, podcasted, I don't want to say too much. I don't need to say too much. Thank you. Thank you. No, really. I mean, it's just, it's such a reprieve to go, God, you are my president. You are my king. You are the one who's in charge of my future. You are the one who's in charge of my family and the people I love and nobody else. God, that's amazing. Thank you. And there's no term limits to God the Father. There's no term limits to Messiah, Jesus, the King. It's forever. Gosh, that is such good news, right? And the encouragement from Paul and the encouragement from me today is keep remembering and keep rehearsing all of these realities and live in them and let your heart and your thoughts live in all of this. God is my parent. This church is my family. I'm an adopted daughter or son of the Father. Jesus is my older brother. Jesus is the king. He's the one who's responsible and taking responsibility for our governing. And the day will come when Jesus and the Father say, okay, that's enough. It's the human, human experiment, experiment has gone on long enough. I'm going to bring it to a close. And I'm going to shut down the brokenness, and I'm going to shut down the sin, and I'm going to shut down the disobedience, and I'm going to bring to earth what is in heaven, which is perfect obedience, harmony, adventure, everything we could ever want. The tragedy is the day he shuts it down is the day every human has to accept whatever their destiny is. And because of the love of God, he's keeping the door open as long as he can so that those that you love can repent. And so that those who haven't been born yet can be born and can also be a part of that. But but as as much as we long for him to shut the door and call it quits, because that sounds amazing, the, the day he does that, grace, as we understand it, ends. And reckoning and reconciliation and judgment happens. So that's why we suffer. That's why we wait. Because God loves people who aren't yet here. And we love people who aren't yet here. A lot of good news in there. And what this is setting us up for is this is what gives us the strength to do the hard work of obeying Jesus Christ and of denying our flesh and taking up the suffering and choosing other things than what the world chooses. 
But if this is what we have to look forward to, I think it's an easy choice. I mean, the options, the other ones are all bad, right? Yeah. The other ones are all like being a Patriots fan. (laughs) This is a bad idea, right? Any Patriots fans in the room? Oh, shoot. And it's a man I haven't even met yet. That's... <laughs> okay. Well, may may you get your heart's desire today. <laughs> so we're going to take some time to worship, and and I hope that the truth that we've reminded ourselves of is is amazing fuel for you to worship right now. And so use this next twenty minutes or so just to to thank God. And to receive more of what it is. And the Holy Spirit's role in the Trinity is to help us to receive. So I'm going to pray. If you have kids in um, pre... I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the class. Preschool, please go get them now. And the other kids will be coming. But I want to pray for you and then we'll worship. Father, your will is amazing. And we thank you that in Jesus and in Paul and in the other authors of Scripture, you've finally made it clear that the mystery is over. What was mysterious for thousands of years has now been made clear, that you want us back, that you want to adopt us out of deep brokenness and hopelessness and have us back as daughters and as sons and for us to be united with one another and with you. And we thank you for the foretaste that is in this room. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these friends who are brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and grandparents and nieces and nephews. And Jesus, we, we affirm that today as our highest reality, and we want to know that well, and we want to live in it. So Holy Spirit, strengthen us now as we worship and say thank you to also receive the truth. In the name of Jesus, give us the power, give us the riches, and give us the hope, we pray in Jesus' name.